Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Chip Nellinger. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. And also, if you're looking for a great place to get tools for your salespeople to manage their deals as well as their contacts and the customer base that they work with, check out Arrow at heyarrow.com. Chip is with Blue Reef Agri-Marketing out of Morton, Illinois. Nice enough to come on to the Moving Iron Podcast and talk about what's going on in the market. So, Chip, how you doing, man? Hey, doing well, Casey. Got to say uh, happy Veterans Day to all the veterans today. It's, uh, I appreciate your service and everything you've done for us. So. Absolutely. I second that, Casey. Happy Veterans Day. Keep you in my thoughts and prayers here, and uh, have a great day, everybody out there. So, Chip, there's a fair amount of stuff going on. Harvest is starting to wind up. Everyone's playing the guess the, the final final number game here. And I guess as you take a look at what's going on out there, um, I think the last report I saw, somewhere around 80% was of corn and beans or harvest but there still seems to be quite a bit out in your neck of the woods like we were talking about earlier here that there's still quite a bit out there to get so i guess talk about what you see happen out there and and uh you know where do you see this this final number landing i guess as we play the who's going to be who's going to be right who's going to be wrong yeah it's going to be uh, interesting we did have that crop report earlier this week and uh you know, I think the, the shock was they didn't go up in beans. They actually went down a couple tenths of a bushel on bean yields. Uh, carryout didn't go up as much as expected. It only went up 20 million bushels in beans. Uh, the market was uh, fearing something way, way worse than that. And so you had that immediate reaction uh, sharply higher uh, in beans because we overdid it to the downside uh, on fear. Kind of the opposite in corn. And I guess the shock there is that, you know, um, the carryout was just a touch bigger than expected. It did go down a little bit because they raised demand up um, at, with a higher uh, corn yield. They were up a half a bushel on corn. And, uh, you know, I, even in spite of that, the, the corn market has acted very well post-report. Uh, you mentioned there is still some crop left to get. Uh, I'd say out in this neck of the woods, we're probably 90%, maybe 95%, but that last little bit is now uh, getting a little bit difficult uh, because we're getting rain today. We're supposed to get uh, you know some rain or snow showers this weekend, uh, so it's getting that time of year where it's the, that last little bit is getting more and more difficult um, you know to get out of the field, and then you're always susceptible to some field loss there uh, as well. So there is still some left in the in the field out here, 
And, you know, as far as what to expect now, we do have a supply and demand report in November, but it's not a production report. So they'll, you know, they won't do anything with yield on the November report, only minor tweaks potentially on the demand side. And then we have the final uh, production number in January. So that January report in two months is going to be the big one. Everyone now scratching their head saying, you know, where, where are we at on this thing? Uh, to me, the fact that they went down just a touch in beans means that they're very, very close. You typically don't see them go, you know, down in uh, November and then back up dramatically in January. Uh, so I, I think they're very close. Fractional change in corn. So, again, I wouldn't expect any major change uh, in, in yield uh, or, you know, much of one to be, uh, you know, materially important to to prices on that January report. I think more importantly, it's going to be what they do with demand the next couple of, of reports. The fear on beans is that, you know, we've slowed this thing down and we're going to see a, a reduction in, in exports, um, you know, possibly offset by a, an increase in domestic crush pace. And and I think the shock in, in corn is going to be, and maybe the reason why we've seen such a, a good reaction um, post report here, even with yields going up, is that you know there's plenty of indication they didn't do anything on this report to corn exports, and there's uh, strong evidence that they're too low on on corn exports here, and then they could increase that, you know, 50 million, 75 million uh, on future reports, and the uh, ethanol pace they did bump ethanol up 50 million. A lot of people thinking they could go another uh, 100, 125 million higher on ethanol before it's said and done because ethanol margins are so profitable. So, you know, if that's the case, corn carryout is going to continue to shrink, and that's you know not a, a negative price situation for corn. So, I you know I, I think that uh, things you know look good. I think we've stabilized the beans. That's really a, a good thing. I think in my mind that really kind of was starting to drag the corn in the wheat market lower as well was just a huge plunge we saw in in bean prices pre-report and uh, that's now stabilized and we're kind of getting back to normal and the normal seasonal over a 15 20 year period would tell you that you know starting about right now all the way through the first of the year maybe january february time frame that we kind of just put slow grinds higher in both corn and beans kind of your typical quote-unquote post-harvest rally and I don't know why this year would, would be any different uh, than that. So I, I think that's something to expect here is small rallies, maybe not sharp, dramatic, um, uh, you know, huge rallies, but, you know, kind of a stair-stepping rally into the end of the year, first part of the new year to give us opportunities to clean up sales on uh, this 21 crop at better levels than you're at today. Yep. All right. So you brought wheat up, and that's something I want to spend a little time on. Uh, Russia has done everything to pretty much say we're going to invade Ukraine without saying we're going to invade Ukraine. Um, the two countries there, very large wheat producing countries. Um, if something does pop off over there, I mean, we had a pretty big run up yesterday and as things start to escalate, you're kind of seeing some, some kind of turmoil boil up there. What are your thoughts there and how's that, I mean, how's that going to work with, with the wheat, wheat price? I mean, could we see a pretty big spike in wheat here as, as these tensions escalate? moving forward through the end of the year here yeah so that's that's a great point um you know along with just the stuff that moves our grain and livestock markets on a daily basis now you throw in 
some political tensions like this, uh, you know, potential conflicts, um, you know, the energy situation that we've got, the, the, the inflationary kind of uh, push that we're having here. And it gets very interesting. So, yeah, that, you know, I think around that, too, um, it, it appears that Russia has not, even with their export taxes on their wheat, it has not done enough to curb the price of domestic flour in Russia, and that's very important to them. They want stable prices. Uh, they don't want uh, upset citizens in a uh, communist country, whether it's China, or Russia, or anywhere else. And so, reading between the lines, um, they're going to likely increase those wheat export taxes to, um, you know, essentially shut off the exports. When you start throwing in, you know, Russia, Ukraine conflict potential, yeah, that gets very, very interesting because those are obviously both big, you know, wheat and, and, and corn producing areas and, and important. And they export a lot typically of wheat and corn out of that country or out of that Black Sea area. So. When you start talking about a conflict that could have implications um, on the Black Sea and, and exports leaving there, it, it gets uh, interesting. And then, uh, you know, as important, you throw in uh, the energy, uh, you know, yeah. price potential there, too, because there's a lot of, a lot of uh, pipelines yeah. that go, you know, from Russia through Ukraine. Yeah. And it's just a whole can of worms that uh, is, you know, uh, uh, unable to predict. It's likely not negative prices, though, whether that's energies or, or grains or wheat. Yeah. Yeah, just a little disruption in the natural gas flow coming out of uh, Russia into Europe. That could make, that could be a pretty big deal um, for natural gas prices that are already pretty high anyway, uh, as you start to take a look at that. So there could be a pretty big impact there. That's just a, a very sticky situation that is uh, tending to uh, escalate more as the days go by, more and more stuff show up at the Ukraine-Russian border um, about every day. So something to pay attention to for sure. Um, kind of scary situation. Oh, it's, yeah, very scary. Surprised it hasn't it's taken this long for it to get to this point. But um, we'll definitely see what happens, I guess. So we're taking a look at the Fed and what they're doing. And they're talking about raising rates and, and talking about... You know what does that look like in this inflationary period? What what's your thoughts on that long term as you look at this? You know if 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 interest rates start to creep up and we get you know four and five and six percent interest rates, how do you think the market's going to react to that? Well, that is uh, the the sixty four trillion dollar question is uh, the the world is wondering. And placing some large bets in some cases on how this thing's gonna gonna end from an inflation standpoint. Um, you know, they're still sticking with the yeah, transitory, transitory uh, thing. talk, <laughs> and I, you know, I think yeah. that uh, everyone uh, probably laughs at that uh, currently. So, you know, they have immediately at their disposal, just with the click of a button, um, you know, they could slow this thing down a little bit as interest rates go up. If you look at the interest rate markets, they've been wildly volatile. And, you know, one day they're uh, they're up sharply rates, and the next day they're down sharply. 
and and the dollar has been very strong through this, uh, even in the face of the Fed saying we're we're not going to raise interest rates, we don't need to, this will pass. And so the market, I think, is starting to tell you that the market will tell you first right. uh, before the the Fed does anything, and likely might have to might force the the, the Fed into a decision um, or, or make the decision for them, I should say. Uh, if interest rates start, you know, some dramatic uh, increase, and so that's that's all on the board. And so, you know, obviously, if if interest rates go up, I think that uh, that is a big, uh, you know, sizable correction that begins in the stock market. And, and you know, I think it's just going to be, uh, you know, pretty solid information once rates start going up. That uh, you're going to have some correction. We haven't seen that in years, other than you know small two, three, four percent corrections. Obviously, the COVID uh, a break was bigger than that, but that was fairly temporary. So, this point being with all of it is, um, you could have some wildly volatile prices. Uh, you already see that in some of these, uh, you know, metals markets and interest rates and, and energies, big, big swings, and and that'll spill over into the grains too. And, and, you know, my fear on this whole thing is the backside of it is going to be ugly, you know, uh, because as inflation, the, the price pressures on the consumer uh, and even businesses now is squeezing margins. And the, the economy is already showing signs of, you know, potential cracks in it. Mm-hmm. And inflation going higher isn't going to help that. And so if they have to raise rates at a time where the economy is already slowing, you know, it's catastrophic. And, right. and so they don't, it's almost like they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. They waited too long. The toothpaste is already, uh, you know, out of the tube and it ain't going back in. And now it's like, you know, what's the, the least painful way to do it? And if you uh, count on the government to make the least painful decision uh, and the one that's correct, uh, you're going to be very disappointed. So it's not going to end well, is my guess. I don't know if that's three months down the road, nine months, 18 months, uh, but the back end of this inflation thing is, in my mind, you know, another fairly steep, deep recession. And, you know, when the when the air all comes out of the inflation balloon, uh, it, it, it won't be a slow leak. It'll be a pop. And you'll have some major volatility likely to the downside. And so it's going to be a wild ride. And there's no time to go back and say, well, the last time this happened, you know, X, Y, and Z was the result of it. Because right. we had some inflation in the 70s and 80s, but this is an entirely different uh, animal. So there's nothing right. to go back historically and say, yeah, this is what we can expect. Because yeah. it's like we're living in a you know, permanent experiment here. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Absolutely. I mean, this is a different kind of inflation that was, uh, uh, you know, really a, a man-made, not that others aren't, but this is, was a, a very much a, a made inflation with COVID aid and various programs that were out there. This is, you know, this is what stems from all that. So absolutely, definitely going to be an interesting ride to see what happens as this moves forward here. So, well, Chip, um, a lot of stuff going on, a million things that you just laid out here, good reason to work on your plan or go back and revamp that plan as you move into the 2022 year because, you know, as things sit right now, it seems like anymore, Chip, if you're, you know, six inches in front of your face is about as far as you can see 
and there's just too much uncertainty out there. So folks are working on that plan. What's the best way to get a hold of you guys over at Blue Reef Marketing to help guide that, that uh, experiment there? Yeah, okay, Casey, so the best way is just give us a call at the office, and, and that number is 309-550-7213. We'd love to chat with you, kind of uh, see uh, you know what your current plan is and, and how you might be able to improve that. <clears throat> we mentioned it. This 2022 uh, from a from a grain production standpoint and and risk out there, it's just enormous. You know the costs and fertilizer, nitrogen inputs, uh, just unbelievably expensive out there, and the, the the margins are getting really tight. And there's a lot of dollars on the table, so it's more important uh, than ever to to uh, have a well thought out plan and strategy, and then more importantly, execute on that strategy when given the chance. That's the hard part is taking it from paper to reality and, and pulling the trigger. So uh, that's what we help people with. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, Chip, they, you guys are doing a great job over there. Thanks for being on the podcast, man. You bet. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you having me on, Casey. And uh, again, happy Veterans Day to everyone out there. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to movingironllc.com for all the latest information about Moving Iron Podcast, as well as the Moving Iron Summit coming up here. Uh, have information out of that very soon, so stay tuned to that. Um, so with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Chip Nellinger. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher